0: Well, we also have a very important um, time in the life of the church this morning. So I want to call Daniel and the rest of the elders up here along with Steve Heffernan. You know, last week we announced that um, Steve was one that we believed God had brought to us to serve now as an elder. And so what we want to do this morning is um, be faithful to God's calling and um, anoint Steve with oil uh, as an elder and, and bring Robin up here as well. Yeah, I grabbed some oil already, Daniel. Got, got, got some right here, thanks. And uh, um, maybe Steve or Daniel wants to share something in a minute, but let me just explain quickly why we use the oil. Hmm? There you go. Let me just explain quickly why we use, um, use oil. You know, we, we went through James 5 recently. It talks about anointing with oil when you're, when you're sick. But oil in the Old Testament was often used to anoint someone as special before the Lord for a special task that God had set out for them. Often warriors were anointed with oil. Craftsmen would be anointed with oil before they would go do something for God. And that's, that's part of why we're going to do this with our brother Steve, is anoint him with oil. Not, not dunk it on him, but just a, a drop on his forehead. And, uh, um, you know, to set him apart is special because God has called him to this purpose. And we're just confirming what God has already called him to. But oil also was used in the Old Testament and even by Jesus in the New Testament to signify the Holy Spirit. And it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that any of us can ever serve God uh, faithfully as we're called to do. So we're we're calling the Holy Spirit upon our brother uh, as we do this. And then there's a last thing to think about oil. Oil in that culture was very expensive because it came from olive trees, and olive trees didn't get mature until they were about 40 years old. So it took a long time to, to develop olives and olive trees and olive oil. And so it was an expensive thing, like the woman who anointed Jesus with, with her perfumed oil. And so it is, in a sense, we're, we're, we're setting him apart and, and recognizing his value to us uh, and, and our love for him as we put this um, oil on him. So that's what we're going to do here in a second. And maybe Pastor Dan, you
1: could pray over him as as we do that. And I don't know if you have something else you want to share. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to pray over you, Steve. Um, You know, this week, I just want to say how thankful I am that as a congregation, you responded to that that call that we put out to say, we want uh, Steve to go through a period of testing uh, where you would be able to speak to the character of this man. And I just have to say, we have heard truly Uh, just beautiful things about the Heffernans. Um, We love you guys, and you are um, your special people. None of us up here are sinless. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. Um, The Holy Spirit chooses to use us to lead his church, and we love you, church, and and the Heffernans love you, and we're really excited for the way God's going to be using Steve in this body. So, yeah. Love you, brother. We're excited to continue to serve to serve you. We're like you guys, part of the church, and we look forward to getting to know more of you and being there when you need somebody and just being used by the Lord in, in the way that he sees. So thank you for all the words that we've heard. Yeah. Amen. There you go.
0: You Steve and Robin, there we go. We want to gather around you now and just uh, anoint Steve with oil and lay hands on you and, and, and pray for you, all right? We want you so, to anoint Robin as well. Oh, so, so, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and faithfully anoint our brother and sister here in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and, and set them apart uh, for service to you, Lord. We love them. We know you love them. Uh, We look forward to what you have planned uh, for them here in our midst. We look forward to working with them, serving with them, ministering with them, uh, Lord, and pray we would be a blessing uh, with them as well in Jesus'
1: name. Thank you for Steve, God. Thank you for the gifts and callings that are upon his life, Lord. We pray that you would use them for the honor and glory of Jesus, Lord. Thank you for Steve and Robin and the one flesh that they make, Lord, and that husband and wife together, they will serve you faithfully in your church. Um, God, we just ask that you just continue to build your church as you've been doing here at Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Love you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Ben. Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, what a special time to to experience, and we're just so thrilled for what God's doing here and continuing to do in the life of our church. I just keep hearing testimony after testimony of the great things God's doing in home groups. Have they been awesome or what? Yes, fantastic. Well, we're going to continue on through our series in the book of Philippians, so you can open your Bible there now. Uh, For those who are in home groups, we've been going through Philippians on Sundays, and then again during the week in those groups as we discuss them together. But today we are in the second half of Philippians chapter one. We're going to pick it up at verse eighteen, and we're going to make our way to the end of chapter one. And we've got a lot to consider this morning, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, Verse nineteen. Well, technically, we we went up to verse eighteen last week, so. We're starting in verse 19, but I want us to back up to the last words of verse 18, where Paul expresses his joy in the Lord again. You know, this book, Philippians, has been defined as a book of joy. And this is what he says at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance. So just as a reminder, you know, Paul is writing this during the time of imprisonment. He has been under house arrest, meaning that he couldn't leave the house that he was staying in, and the imperial guards made sure of that. But what could happen was people were able to come visit Paul, and even though Paul was in chains under house arrest, he says in one of his letters that the word of God was not chained. And so Paul there in this house would write these letters to the various churches, and there would be people who would come visit Paul and take those letters to the churches. That's why we have these letters like Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians. Now, Paul would have loved to hop on a ship and go visit the Philippians in person. He loved these people, he, he considered them his friends, of course it's what he wanted to do, but he rejoiced knowing that God is good and that God is in control and that even if he is in prison, God could still use him. And that is what God did, and we rejoice that God used the Apostle Paul because now we have the book of Philippians as holy scriptures, The amazing thing is as we read these letters of Paul, we realize they are not merely the words of a man, but they are the very words of God that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. Now, just a little bit more about Paul. You know, we know that he was a dedicated servant of Jesus Christ. There's a lot that we can learn from his life. He's one of the best examples that we could see of a Christian. And we look at the way that he loved Jesus we look at the way that he lived for Jesus here on this earth. But you see, Paul had this keen ability to rejoice in all circumstances because his life wasn't easy. Uh, in our home group, one person said it would have been uh, kind of hard if Paul was writing this letter from some sort of nice, you know, faraway island, you know, with a little, you know, one of those umbrellas in his, in his drink or something like that. But He's not. He's writing it from prison and he still has joy. So when Paul says in verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice. Look, that's not the first time that Paul has expressed joy in the Lord. Already in this letter, we've seen that he's rejoiced at the gospel's being proclaimed. Even if some preachers were doing it from wrong motives and trying to cause Paul more pain, Paul was able to rejoice because of the Philippians' faithfulness and partnership in the gospel, that they'd stood with him through really trying times. They'd they'd been with him in the fire. And Paul really was a man who was filled with joy. And look, Paul's joy came out by way of rejoicing. We see that. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. Now, rejoicing, just to define it, I believe rejoicing is the outward expression of inward joy. So joy can be expressed with a rejoicing smile on your face. Joy can be expressed with rejoicing tears in your eyes. Joy can be expressed with a rejoicing shout or a rejoicing song or a rejoicing prayer. We might even see somebody rejoicing by jumping up and down, right, for joy. But if you have joy in God, I, I, I'm convinced that it needs to be seen through your body. It needs to be seen with your life. There's, there's this sort of weird idea that comes into the church sometimes that if you're really a holy Christian, you're going to kind of walk around just sort of a little bit mopey. <laughs> that you're, you, there's just going to be this somberness, and we almost would see Paul as sort of this, you know, like, you believe in Jesus now, you know. <laughs> And that, that somehow shows some spiritual maturity, and, and rather, I think that that actually can sometimes show a religious spirit. Because if you really have the Holy Spirit, if you really have the joy of the Lord in your heart, it's going to be expressed through your body. It's going to be expressed outwardly in a way where somebody can look at your life and they can say, that person knows Jesus. So rejoicing is the physical expression of the spiritual joy that truly exists within a person. But look, Paul's body was growing old. Paul's body had handled a few good beatings. He had been through shipwrecks. He'd even been bitten by a snake. Paul's body was troubled, even as he said, with some kind of thorn in his flesh. It was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And Paul's body at this time of writing was connected to chains and guards. And all of this could have very well produced a very bitter and grumpy old man. But instead, Paul was a man of joy. And his joy was visibly expressed through rejoicing. So he could look at everything that was happening to him in his life Some very hard things, some very trying things, some real difficult circumstances, and yet he could make the decision, because I have to say, to rejoice, that's a decision you have to make. Rejoicing is a decision to have thankfulness to God with joy in your heart, and you're going to say, I'm going to let it come out of me. Yes, I will rejoice. So Paul said those words, and then in verse 19 he says, For I know that your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So I want us to understand something. As I'm explaining this, Paul was not delusional. He wasn't thinking that, you know, he's, he's on some far-off island, you know, with a little umbrella in his drink, when in reality he's in prison. Like, Paul knows where he is. He's in prison, And he knows that Roman imprisonment often led to death. He knew that Rome believed he was a criminal for preaching the gospel. Paul knew what Rome did to people who posed a threat to their power. He remembered what they did to Jesus, who was crucified even though he was an innocent man. Paul knew that he was in prison, and that prison could surely lead to his death. But do you know what else Paul knew? He knew that God is good. And he knew that God's in control. He knew that if he was in prison, he was going to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He knew that if he was going to live, he was going to live for Christ. And he knew that if he was going to die, he was going to die for Christ. He knew all those things with with what I would say is a lot of confidence. I just see confidence in Paul's words as he's writing. But where does this sort of confidence come from? Paul attributes this confident joy and this assurance that his deliverance is going to happen to two things. One, that the Philippians were praying for him, and two, that the Spirit of Jesus Christ was helping him. Because of those two facts, Paul had joy knowing that he would be delivered. You know that word deliverance there at the end of verse 19, it literally just means to be saved. Paul was confident that in one way or another he was going to be saved and that it was either going to come through life or through death. And he believed that that deliverance would come through the prayers of the saints and through the help of the Holy Spirit, which by the way, I hope you know that those are two great sources of help for you in the Christian life, prayer and the Holy Spirit. We can be confident that God hears and answers the prayers of his people. We can be confident that God helps us by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And you know, the prayer that Paul's talking about and the Holy Spirit that Paul's talking about that gave him such boldness and confidence. Do you realize that the same Holy Spirit that dwelled in Paul is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you? He's not a different Holy Spirit. The same spirit of Jesus Christ that lived in Paul and and that Paul was able to do all the things that he did, that same spirit lives inside of you. Do you know that the same prayers that were prayed in the early church that brought about amazing things that we read about, for instance, in the book of Acts, do you know that those same prayers we can pray to God and that he will hear them and he will answer them? It's just a, a thing we need to realize and remember. You have the help of prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit. So use it. Now, Paul goes on to express this confidence that prayer and the Holy Spirit brings to him here in verse 20. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul, being in prison, knows that he's not going to be there forever, and that he's going to be delivered. In one way or another, Paul will get out of jail. He would be released either by life, or he would be released by death, because here's the situation that Paul found himself in. He was about to stand trial before Caesar Nero, who didn't really like Christians, for a so-called crime of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And since Paul was never ashamed of the gospel, but with courage and confidence and boldness, he would proclaim Christ, that threat of imprisonment or even that threat of death was never going to prohibit Paul from speaking the best news ever that Jesus dies on a cross for our sins, and that he rose again to give us new life. And Paul would boldly proclaim that without any shame, even if it meant imprisonment or death. And so because of that unwavering commitment that Paul had to Jesus and to the gospel, one of two things was gonna happen. One, Paul will be released from prison, and he'll go on preaching the gospel again. Or two, Paul will be sentenced to death and he'll go to be with Jesus in heaven. That's the two options that Paul has. And that's why he could say, my deliverance will come either by life or by death. And Paul said, whether by life or death, Christ is going to be honored. Look at verse 21 with me. You probably know these words. For to me, to live is Christ, And to die is gain. You know, when Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed for him. Jesus chose Paul. Jesus showed Paul grace. Jesus saved Paul in his love. And therefore, Paul's sole purpose in life became glorifying Jesus Christ. You know, when you've really been saved and you know what you've been saved from, life becomes all about living for Jesus. To give honor and service to Jesus was the apostles' one desire. For the apostle Paul, the answer to all of life and death was found only in Jesus. And so verse 21 is one of those standalone Bible verses. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I I hesitate, you know, to unpack that statement because... Because it's one of those verses where you're really only going to understand it if you're living it. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, you can't understand that dying is gain unless living is Christ. When living for Jesus, when, when living for His honor, living for His glory, living for His service, when life becomes all about living for Jesus, then you will know that there's a great advantage to dying. The only way a person can say dying is gain if, is if they can say, for me, living is Christ. And, and not all people can say that they look forward to dying, Because not all people can say that they're living each day for Jesus Christ. You see, unless you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and your friend, unless you've surrendered your life to him, unless you know that he died on a cross and rose again to save you, and that by doing so, he has destroyed death, and he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, like we just heard at Easter. Unless you know these things and have experienced them, then... then then dying is going to be seen as a deficit, not as a gain. See, death is a big problem for people who don't know Jesus. You realize that, right? Death is a very big problem for the people who don't have Jesus as their God and Savior. For those who refuse the gospel, death is trouble. But death is not a problem for Christians. Death is simply our entrance into everlasting life. And Paul will explain more about what this Christian hope for life and death is all about in verses 22 to 26. So read these words with me. He says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your accounts. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, you realize what's going on here, Right? Paul has two options. He will live or he will die. And he knows that God's the one to decide that. As much as Paul did look forward to death, Paul was not fatalistic, and he certainly was not suicidal. Look, he knew that God would bring him home when God wanted to bring him home. So if Paul stays alive, this is what Paul's going to do. He's just going to keep on preaching the gospel. He's going to keep on planting churches. He's going to go visit the churches and build them up in the faith. He wants to go see the Philippians. He wants to pick up with them right where he left off. But Paul was actually convinced here in Philippians that, that if he remained alive, this would actually be an advantage for the Philippians. He could teach them more. He he could build them up more. He says they would have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus if if Paul came to them once more. But if Paul died, if he would be sentenced to death by Rome, if Paul died, he would go to be with Jesus in heaven. And to Paul, that's not a bad option. 1 Corinthians chapter five, Paul speaks about dying and going to heaven. And he says it's like leaving behind a temporary tent and going to a permanent home. And it's where we learn that when a believer in Jesus Christ dies, they immediately go to be in the presence of Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul speaks about this. I want to read that verse to you. It says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly bodies, he's talking about this body, he's talking about our flesh. we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Who got out of bed this morning and was like, oh, right? We groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. The spirit's like the down payment, the deposit that says this is going to happen. In verse 6, so we are always of good courage for we know that while we are at home in this body we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord for whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Paul wrote those words in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 through 9. And it's like an echo of these words in Philippians 1, 23 and 24 that says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You know, that word depart comes from the idea of striking a camp. You know, if you've ever been camping and it's time to pack up, You pull the tent pegs up and you move out. And that's what dying is like for the believer in Jesus. You realize that this life is not all there is, but that there is an eternal home that awaits you. You're but a traveler, a sojourner, an exile here in this world. And when the time comes for you to go home, to that home that Jesus said that he's gone to prepare a place for you, Your physical body, like a tent, is going to be left behind. And your spirit goes to be with Jesus, where you will live forever with him in that permanent dwelling place in your resurrected body. And there you will be present with Jesus forever. To depart and be with Christ, that is far better. Because for the believer in Jesus... What we lose by death is nothing compared to what we gain by death. But that's only true for the person who's put their hope in the Lord. If you do not have the faith and the hope and love for Jesus, then then there's nothing to be gained by dying. And in reality, life in this body is only as good as it's ever going to get. But if you do have faith in Jesus, if you do have hope in Jesus, if you, if you do love Jesus, life only gets better when you die. Because in heaven, you will be made perfect. You'll be made complete for all of eternity. And best of all, you're going to be with Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, Paul says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep. He used that to speak of death. Don't want you to be uninformed about those who died, that, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. So, so these words are to comfort one another when a follower of Jesus dies. You know, this week we had a beloved member of our church go to be home with the Lord this week. A husband, a father, a son, a friend. And on Thursday morning, as I was even preparing this message, I got the call from his son. And when I talked to his son, I said, Wow, your dad is with Jesus right now. You know what he said to me? He said, yep, the eagle has landed. (laughs) The eagle has landed, and I love that. To know that when someone who loves Jesus dies, that they immediately go to be in the presence of the Lord. The comfort, the peace, the confidence that that brings. You know, the world doesn't have that. So as Christians, we can grieve with hope, knowing that when a brother or sister in the Lord dies, we know where they are. They're with Jesus. Man, what would we do without the promise of Jesus for eternal life? Paul felt very hard-pressed between these two options. He he loved the people in his life, and, and death meant that he would be away from them. And isn't that the hardest thing about death? is that the people that we love so much that we don't get to see them anymore, at least not for a little while. But Paul loved Jesus. You know, Paul loved Jesus more than any person that he had ever loved. And to die meant that he would go to be present with Jesus, the lover of his soul, King Jesus. He'd be in his presence. Dying for Paul meant no more need for faith, no more need for hope, Who has hope and who has faith for what you then see? Because Paul understood that when you die and go to be present with the Lord, do you know what you get? You get to see Jesus face to face. That sounds really good, doesn't it? I mean, if for you, like living is Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, just think about it. You're gonna see Jesus face to face. I can't wait to see him face to face. I can see all of your faces right now, and I wish Jesus was in the midst of it, but he's not. He's in heaven. But when I get to heaven, I will see his face, and I hope I see all of yours too. Because this is what heaven is. You know, Most scholars believe that Paul did get to go see the Philippians one more time face-to-face. Paul was beheaded by Caesar Nero around the year 67 AD. That's what tradition tells us. And Paul's with Jesus right now. The man who wrote this letter is with Jesus right now, along with everyone who has preceded us by death. And so when we die, we're not only going to be united to Jesus, we're going to be reunited with Paul. Paul. I can't wait to just go shake that man's hand and say thank you for the things you wrote. Thank you that when you were in prison, you weren't just a mopey old man, but that with faith and with the help of prayer and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you wrote these letters for my encouragement. I can't wait to see all the people that I'll get to see in heaven, and heaven is going to be a great reunion, not only with Jesus, which is the best of all, but a great reunion with all the believers in Jesus Christ. Think about it. Who are you excited to see in heaven besides Jesus? Mom, dad, husband, wife, brother, sister, children, both born and unborn? Who are you excited to meet in heaven? But think about this too. If Jesus was not in heaven, would you still want to be there? The reason why dying is better, the reason why heaven is better, heaven's only better because that's where Jesus is. Jesus is the reason why heaven and dying is gain. All right, so none of us are there yet. As you can tell, I I can't wait. I hope you can't wait either. I don't know when I'm going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. It could be today for any one of us. It could be tomorrow for any one of us. It could be one day, one week, one month, one year. It could be 100 years from now, but let's be honest, some of you ain't living another 100 years. (laughs) you know as young as I may look I don't think I'm going to be alive at 2,123 so while we live what do we do well we're hard-pressed we wait for two things we we wait to die or we wait for Jesus to come back yet our waiting is not a passive waiting it's an active waiting We live each day in such a way where we can say, for me to live is Christ. So then Paul continues into verse 27 to the end of the chapter to be sure that we're all thinking this way. Read these last verses with me. It says in verse 27, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit." Now we can all say that there is eternal worth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to live worthy of the gospel means to live in a way that matches the worth of the gospel. To live in a way that because Jesus lived and died for us, we will live and die for him. And then it's by grace that we live such a way. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We can't live like Jesus apart from the gospel. Can't live for Jesus apart from his grace, the help of prayer, the help of the spirit, the help of the church, all the things that we need help with to follow. Because Paul says that, that and he knows that Christians will get off track. Does anybody ever get off track? Does anybody, uh, even though we're said to uh, run this race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, does anybody ever get their eyes off Jesus for a moment? Yes, we do. But we're reminded here what life is all about. It's all about living for Jesus each day. To have a testimony throughout your life that says, I've lived for the worthiness of Jesus' honor. The idea of having a a manner of life is to conduct yourself in such a way, to actually live out what you believe. Don't tell me, show me. Live out what you believe in Jesus. We're to live for Jesus, which ultimately means living like Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians, be imitators of God. And Paul wanted to visit the Philippians once more before he died. And like I said, we believe that he did. But even if they didn't get to see him again, Paul wanted to know that they'd be living for Jesus in such a way. And one of the ways that Paul expresses that he, he thinks that we can live as Christians that will be most glorifying to God, he says to live in unity, to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit. Paul desired for the church to be united. It was the great desire of a pastor's heart. That, that's, can I just say as a pastor, The great desire of a pastor's heart is that the church would be united, that we would love and serve one another, and that we would maintain the unity that the Holy Spirit has made here. He said, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, that the church is of one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and that the saints are not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul knew what was up against Christians. He knew what was up against the church. You know it, don't you? Living in this world where there's at times hostility to the gospel, where there's opponents who want to incite fear into believing hearts. And, and you know, one, one of the things that, that we've maybe found in American Christianity, that, that is, it, it's this subtle kind of fear. Where the opponents are not necessarily outright attacking you, but they're saying things like, oh, Christianity is just escapism. Just trying to leave this world and go to heaven, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Sounds nice. I actually see nothing wrong with that. I can't wait to be in heaven. It's going to blow this place out of the water, guys. Heaven But it doesn't mean that I'm not a citizen of this earth. I know that my citizenship is in heaven, and that's where my hope lies, but I'm also called to live out this world, to to be in the world, but not of the world. And and all sorts of things have been said about Christians trying to minimize our confident hope that we have. I just wanna say, if in any way you have lacked or lost your hope of heaven, I pray that today it would be reignited. And if any opponent of the gospel wants to say, you believe in heaven? You'd say with boldness and confidence, yes, I do. (laughs) I can't wait to see Jesus in heaven. That's what these words were meant to do for us. Because when people oppose Christians in the gospels, you want to know a lot of the reason for why it is they don't know where they're going when they die. And... They need for you to not be frightened in anything by your opponents, because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and not from God. You are to be the aroma of Christ, and to some, you're going to be the aroma of death leading to death, and to some, you're going to be the aroma of life leading to life, but we are to not have any fear in the face of opposition, no fear in the face of the enemy, no fear in the face of death, because it is a clear sign to this world, and to the devil, and to all who are looking that what we believe is really true we have been saved by God through Jesus Christ it is true and if I were to drop dead right now do you know where I would be wouldn't you I'm asking you if I were to die in the pulpit which would be a pretty cool place to die let's be honest if I died right now you know where I would be right thank you All of you guys could do my memorial service. Thank you very much. I know where I'm going when I die. Do you? Do you? Let's pray right now to be sure of that. I remember when I was 17 years old, and I prayed a very simple prayer to ask Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior, and my friend, to give me life when I die. And if today what you've heard, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, if today you want to know with confident hope that if you were to die today, you would go to be with Jesus in heaven, then right now you can pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you were buried in a grave, but you conquered death when you rose again. Thank you, Lord, that death is no longer going to be a problem for me because I have died with you today, and I am raised with you today. And when I die, I'll get to see you face to face. But as I live each day from this day forward, I pray that I would live for you. I would live my life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So from this day forward, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, be my friend. I want to learn what it means to have the help from the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and dwell inside anyone who professes you to be Lord. And so from this day forward, Lord, whether we live or die, we believe, Lord, that we live for you, for you, Jesus, because you're worthy of it all. In your name we pray. Amen.